What up, what up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. Um, I've been having a lot of fun recording these episodes for you guys. So I hope you guys are getting a lot out of them, trying to get some awesome guests that I'm interested in talking to, but that I know will also be interested, interesting for all of you guys to listen to. Uh, my guest today is somebody you all probably know very well. Uh, his name is Brett Contreras, and you may know him as the glute guy. Uh, on Instagram, his, uh, well, I mean, in, in general, his profession focuses on the glutes, um, training the glutes, how to get bigger glutes, how to improve your strength through improving glute strength and glute uh, recruitment, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so he has a gym in San Diego called the Glute Lab. Um, he basically has made a career out of helping people and probably mostly women, but just people in general to get better, bigger, better glutes. Um, in this episode, we cover um, not just glute training. I really was interested in talking to him as a practitioner, as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and so we talk a lot about, you know, just strength training in general, um, the online world and how all of that works with being a coach and how he runs his practice. And he gave me a lot of good information, a lot of good tips um, on, you know, running my business, running a business in general, and just being a, a fitness entrepreneur these days. Um, I'll be honest with you guys, I actually recorded this episode a while back. This was actually the first episode I ever recorded for this podcast, and I waited this long to put it out just because I wanted to make sure that I had a flow with how I was recording or putting these episodes out before I put out this episode with Brett. Hope you guys get a lot out of this episode. It was really eye-opening for me and informative for me. So welcome my guest, Brett Contreras. All right. Hey, Brett. How's it going? Very good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. So, you know, uh, a few years back, uh, I was in undergrad. Um, I was doing some, helping some people out with some research at the time. And I was doing some classes with a, with a teacher of mine. And um, your, your name started coming up with the whole biomechanics thing. I was taking biomechanics at the time. So your name started coming up and uh, that was kind of like the first time I'd heard about you. And then I went to grad school and I worked with uh, Dr. Campbell in the performance and physique enhancement laboratory. He had a hip thruster that he had just bought and we talked about you. And so like more and more, I started hearing the name Brett Contreras. And then, you know, like at the time, obviously I knew you were from Phoenix, Arizona at the time, which is where I came from doing my undergrad at Arizona state and uh but then all of a sudden it's like uh, glutes became so popular and like the glute guy everybody knows who the glute guy is how does it feel to be like this guy who brought glutes to be sort of in the forefront almost like they're so popular these days and i feel like you're a big reason for that um you know uh how does it feel uh it's it's a little bit bittersweet and let me tell you why mm -hmm. um i miss the day i miss the days before they changed the facebook algorithms so facebook was awesome we had this great community all of us were like the whole fitness community was like this you know and it was just different and then once the algorithms changed i think i was one of the first ones i don't even post on facebook anymore mm -hmm. um <clears throat> I quit Facebook, I quit Twitter, I just do Instagram. I did a YouTube stint for a while, but then I, 
I don't like the comments on YouTube. I don't like, mm -hmm. for some reason there's very hateful people. I, I could just disable comments, but uh, anyway, uh, it's, it's interesting because you watch like the movie Social Network or whatever, the in, you know, the Facebook movie, and it was about this thing that's bigger and larger than life, and it's not just about money. And then they, in typical like fashion, they made it all about money and changed their algorithms, and it was just sponsored ads. You know, I went from and what I loved back then, I had power because mm -hmm. of all the shares. It's like I could write, you know, I could see something going on. And I, that I didn't like, that I thought was pseudoscience or, you know, hype. And I could make a post about it and it would get shared like crazy, you know? Right. And the scientists had power back then. We could, you know, we could stand toe to toe with the marketers and the charlatans. And we were making a difference. And then that's what I wish Facebook, you know, it's just a company. They, you could argue that they, owe it to their shareholders to try to make as much money as possible. But uh, it, whatever they did, it just, it ruined everything. It ruined it, it. You took the, you chopped off the legs of every scientist because then it became, you, you make a scientific post and it would go, you know, I went from getting like, you know, say 3000 likes and 500 shares. <clears throat> that was like the norm, you know, uh, to like 400 likes and, you know, 50 shares, it just wasn't, wasn't very fun anymore. So that's where I switched to Instagram. But I realize I haven't answered your question. That's okay. Back in the Facebook era, it's like we all knew and you know, the way it used to be, we would blog. You'd well, you'd like you'd film a YouTube video, okay, we didn't have editing, you'd like, ask your girlfriend or your family member or your lifting partner you'd be like hey dude can you re can you hit record real quick and you'd do the whole video in one shot you'd be like hey guys i'm going to show you this exercise here's how i do it and you'd be fumbling over things and and here's another variation you wouldn't you wouldn't edit you chop it up and blend it together that, that sounds a lot like the way i'm currently doing things so i need to step things up is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> you just do everything in one shot yeah. upload it to youtube um and then you'd write a blog post, embed that YouTube video into the blog post, and then you would uh, publish the blog post, you know, pick the thumbnail, and then post that to Facebook and Twitter, and then you'd send it out to your newsletter. That's the way we did things for a long time, and it worked great, and I miss those days. I miss blogging. Yeah. Uh, you could really delve into a topic. You could do it justice, and then, you know, the world went and changed on us, and people decided, you know, we realized people have the attention spans of fetal pigs and uh you know they 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 need just a one like an infographic or not even now infographics are too complicated you just put a quote on twitter mm. post it you yeah. know it, it just gets worse like pretty soon it's just going to be like 10 letters or just one picture because people can't pay attention to anything so um so i i miss those days because Back then, we had, like, I'm a historian of strength and conditioning. I, I love the history of it. I love studying what the old-time strongman did, men did. I like studying the history of, you know, exercises and methods and periodization methods and things like that. And, you know, the Russian texts. And then with, with, even with blogging, in the, in the last 15 years, it was cool. It was like, you know, 
Paul Check made stability balls popular. Uh, uh, you know, J.C. Santana, you know, made these exercises popular. Then Mike Boyle came and and basically made Bulgarian split squats a lot more popular. Um, you know, Ben Bruno then made doing single leg stuff with uh, like weighted vests and dumbbells and tons of weight a thing. I made hip thrusts and glute training more popular, but you always knew we we all followed each other and we always knew who came up with what. And it was like a way of you know, crediting people and monitoring progress. But anytime there was someone who would plagiarize or steal, like, you know, people would call that person out. And, and, and then it would be everywhere. It would go, you know, there was a policing system. So that, that would go all over Facebook, Twitter. There pe people made a YouTube video about this person's a fraud. It'd be on Reddit, you know, and, and so it kept everyone in check. You didn't see so much stealing from other people. And I miss those days. There's just way too much. Um, <clears throat> now, now with Instagram, it's like, you know, someone comes on and says, you stole this from me. And they just hit block, <laughs> delete. They yeah. block you, delete your comment. And there's my, all my colleagues, that these, these people out there, they'll just take an infographic and then take your exact infographic and erase your name off it and put their name on it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and there's people who have just copied my entire system. And they don't even mention me or tag me. Um, I remember one time I, I mentioned that I invented the hip thrust and all these people came on. LOL, did you, did you invent squats and running too? Hmm. LOL, I, I was doing that in the 90s. And I'm like, no, you weren't. Yeah. You weren't doing it in the 90s. These, these young up-and-comers don't even know the history of our industry and they don't even know who came up with what. And now there's not really a – okay – there was also the website T Nation. It used to, I was a big writer for T Nation. And yeah. that, was, that was the hub. That's what everyone, all of the strength coaches, all the serious lifters went there to learn because you had the best of the best. In the beginning, it was, you know, Ian King and Charles Poliquin and, you know, Christian Thibodeau and mm. Chad Waterbury, uh, John Davies, who else? All these guys. And then there'd be interviews with like, Charlie Francis and Pavel and Louis Simmons and um, you know and then and then guys like Eric Cressy and and uh, you know uh, Joe DeFranco and uh, Mike Robertson and Mike Boyle, Dan John. Um, I know I'm going to leave a bunch of people out, but uh, you know Martin Rooney, myself. Uh, he, he, there would just be articles from us in there. Ben Bruno. Uh, I know I'm leaving a ton of people out, but you had these, these were the top strength and these, these were people who were working with people, strength coaches, you followed their stuff. And now it, and T Nation became watered down. I don't even read it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I read it and that was a huge part of my education, but that was kind of like a central hub where you knew this is, you know, you kept track. This is who came up with this. This was the evolution. You know, you had, these you have this is the way we train and then you'll see these little spikes where this person made this popular and we went off in this direction a little bit and this person made this popular and we went off in this direction this person came up with this idea now there's yeah and before the internet it was like i, I sometimes think how easy it would have been well how easy or, or how difficult it would have been say i came up with hip thrusts you know in the 80s mm -hmm. 
or the, or before the internet, you know, I wouldn't have had a voice really. I don't know how I would have made them popular because there were there wasn't blogs, there wasn't social media. Most people learned from the magazines, the muscle right. mag. Right. So I would have had to get in the muscle mag somehow. But on the flip side, if I would have just like say I went to like Venice or something and met Arnold or somehow like trained with Arnold or like showed him these hip thrusts and he took a liking to him and he, you know, if he was like just works the glutes <laughs> and and he and he told people about him, the whole world would have been doing him. It would have been overnight. Like the right. whole world would have been doing him. Uh for glutes now glute training wasn't real popular back then i I don't know if he would even like them but it's just very different things always change and what i don't like seeing is uh it's not more like it's like i i I always it's funny i used to be interviewed in podcasts and people would go doesn't it bother you uh that all these people come out with these glutey books and they come Mm -hmm. out with these things and they're just copying you and i'm like i could care less yeah. Everyone knows who the father is, who the in, the originator is. Everyone knows that I came up with a lot of this stuff. So to me, they're just spreading the spreading my methods, and it makes me more legitimate. Yeah. And, that was, and now it's a few years later, and I kind of feel opposite mm. in the sense that I see all these people, and they're it just bugs me that there are bad people out there, just horrible individuals who just like. I mean, think about it. Like, let's say you were, you were like, I'm going to start doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you were learning from some guy and say you did it for like a year and got really into it. And then you just, you know, enough to like show moves and do the basics and, and then you just like decide I'm going to make my own jiu-jitsu Instagram channel and you go on the top, you find the top five most popular jiu-jitsu guys and you copy and you just go from the beginning and you copy every video they've ever done mm-hmm. and you just do it in your own words hey guys today i'm going to teach you the whatever you know i'm going to teach you how to escape the, this mount or i'm going to teach you how this submission or how to defend this submission and you just copy everything they've done to a t and you never credit them and you pretend that you could even say you have a black belt and if someone comes on and be like, where'd you get your black belt from? Just delete them and never right. credit anyone. And you can rise up and you've never even like, <laughs> and you're not even, and you could just be complete. Funny. Yeah. You could be and a blue being, belt. You could be a blue belt, for instance, and say you're a black belt and you seem legit because you kind of look like you know what you're talking about because you're copying all these people who do have their black belt. And, just, and then the people in the know might be like, he's not, he doesn't look real crisp on that. That's right. not really how you do it. But the, the general public, if you just do that and then you're a marketer, try my new system and say you, uh, I don't know, say you just, I don't know, have this amazing physique and you're jacked up on roids. And I, I mean, I know some of these fighters are on a ton of stuff and then they, they release these strength and conditioning programs. And, that's not, and they're silly for jujitsu. It's like, yeah, they're not good programs for jujitsu. But I don't know why I got off on the topic of jujitsu. My point is, imagine being that bad of a person. But right. they, you know, it's actually good. Like that's that's a what a. There's no consequences anymore. Like back in the day, that person would have been laughed off the. You know, you'd type in their name, and their first ten things that came up would be, "This person's a fraud." Now there's zero consequences. So if someone takes us like steals a sentence from you, one sentence that's plagiarism. You know, like someone steals your quote, that's plagiarism, and you're now a plagiarist. Mm-hmm. There's a word for it. 
mm-hmm. or especially if they steal a whole paragraph or an article from you. You are now a plagiarist. I could care less if someone steals a sentence from me. People have stolen my whole identity and my whole methods, and then they don't credit me, and they pretend, you know, I, there are guys that are like <clears throat> out there saying, I'm the number one glute expert in the world. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, because I got my PhD, I've published 50 studies, but I've, I own a gym, I work with hundreds of people, and I've been doing this since I was, you know, I've been a trainer for 22 years now. And, uh, and it's these young people. And they're, anyway, there's no consequences. They will keep doing it, and it'll just get worse because you, you steal a sentence, you're a plagiarist. You steal someone's whole identity and, you, and copy everything they've ever done. You're not, you're, there's no label for it. Yeah. And it, I think you make a good point because, you know, these days especially, like there's no, with social media, with the way people have access to information, it's great, but it's like a double-edged sword because there's no uh, system for checking whether people are really legit. Like you're saying back in the 80s, maybe like you had to maybe publish a book or get into a magazine, people fact-checked you, people like looked into your background, is this guy legit? Does he really have the credentials that he's talking about? And these days, uh, you know, as long as you look pretty good, as long as you, there's a quote, I don't remember who said it, but it's kind of like to an average person, when they look at two people who know more than them, they can only tell that those people know more than them, but they can't decipher between two people who know more than them, who knows, who knows more between the two of them. Does that make sense? So like, you know more than me about glute training. If I were to start putting out some some guidebooks on glute training, to, to a beginner, I look legit and you look legit, but they can't decipher which one of us is more legit. And people don't people actually may not even pay attention to like, oh, he's got a PhD and his dissertation was in glute training, but they don't even look at that anymore. It's just about what 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 you look like on Instagram, maybe. It's funny you say that because uh, I get. I get these uh, DMs, you know, and these DMs on my Instagram, people be like, they send me some, there's one guy who is a very, obviously very jealous of me because he always makes posts about me and how stupid my exercises are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't go see his stuff because he, he preemptively blocked me as if I'd ever gone to your stupid page, you know? Um, so he's blocked me from both his like both pages. So people send me these things and I'm like, I can't see it. I don't know what you're sending me. I'm it's set to private or it's or what I can't go to it. And so they'll screenshot it. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, this is this guy. And like, I, I kind of want to offer to debate him, but um, no, no one in only one person has ever accepted a debate challenge in this industry. That's another thing. Like people mm-hmm. don't have honor. I would never back down from a debate if I was running my mouth, but um anyway but i'm kind of bored i think it would be fun to try to debate him but it's yeah you're right people would be like well he says this and i'm like uh like i have a phd this guy doesn't but yeah. that doesn't automatically make you me right but it's like look at my before and afters but also just do it for yourself it's 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 funny some some guy i remember i presented at a conference um about a year and a half ago and this guy comes up and he's like, he was trying to say something nice to me, but he, he was a guy putting on this conference, okay? And he meant this to be nice. He was like, you know, Brett, I don't know. 
you know, I don't know if hip thrusts actually build hypertrophy or not in the glutes, but I do know they help with like teaching good, like deadlift lockout mechanics, for example, to help you prevent anterior pelvic tilt. But I, he was trying to say something nice and instantly I'm like, you're an, you're, you're, you pose, you're, you position yourself as an expert. You don't know if they build muscle. Hmm. Like a, someone who just starts lifting knows that. Like we've gotten to a point where the experts, you don't have, <laughs> that's what, I mean, I have a lifting background since I was 15 years old. It's whether something builds muscle, if you feel it working, if you do an exercise and you feel it working, then it builds muscle. The end of story, you know, it's not like this exercise, like how could, the fact that this person could say this, I can't take him seriously anymore. It's funny, and I didn't do the conference again this year because I can't take that person seriously. They're, they're, some people just rely on what they hear from other people. Like, could you ever imagine doing a curl and being like, I don't know if this builds biceps muscle or not. If it puts tension on the muscle, it builds the muscle. Now right. we can argue about which exercise is more effective than others right? based on like the biomechanics of it. But uh, whether it builds muscle or not, of course it does. If an exercise works that region primarily, then it works, it builds muscle. But anyway, uh, back to your original question, how does it feel being the glute guy? I, I love it. I feel like I did play a part. It was like a, I think it was like the, the Kim Kardashian type thing and Jen Selter and all these, you know, obsession with glutes combined with the glute, you know, you know, these new, me pushing these new methods, not just hip thrust, but all the different bridging and thrust patterns and also the lateral and rotary movements, you know, like back in the day, it was like, it was all men who were all, the only experts in strength and conditioning were men and men made the rules. And that's kind of the older era before Instagram. It was like, you wanted to know if something's legit. You listen to the men. Well, men, when I came out with hip thrusts, in fact, most of the names I mentioned from the teenage era, it's so funny. They write articles or blog posts or, or videos saying like the hip thrust is stupid. And I went from idolizing all these guys to realizing, oh my God, they actually don't care about their clients' results. They're just jealous. Right. And I went from what? Like do, do, do three sets of hip thrusts the way I teach them. And your glutes will be burning like crazy. How the hell do you think they got so popular around the world? It's not easy. Like, name one other exercise that's become popular around the world in the last 20 years. There's not none. Yeah. In order for the hip thrust to, to gain such popularity, it has to work well. And these guys are saying it's not safe. And I'm going, I've never had a single injury. And I realize the only reason they're saying this is jealousy, which I don't have that character flaw. Yeah. I'm not jealous everyone has some jealousy but like when someone invents something in this industry i'm like cool like you know i never hated on greg glassman for crossfit and if someone comes up with an exercise or a method and it's funny i never liked charles poliquin but i remember being interviewed in a, a previous podcast about german volume training the person brought up this study but you know charles and i butted heads but I, I'm a scientist, so this person said GVT is not effective in reference to this paper, and I said, hold on, hold on. That's not the, the same system that, that Poliquin espoused. You know, he said use 60% of one rep max, only do one exercise per day. This study didn't do that. 
So although it's an interesting study, it can't be used to denounce GVT as Poliquin proposed. And you know, I'll defend, I'll defend whatever is scientific, but uh, basically, uh, and then so it was the Kardashians and like even Jen Selter on Instagram posting belfies, uh, butt selfies. Yeah, and then the education like here's this these new methods like use bands do abduction work do higher reps do hip thrusts do glute bridges um also do your squats and lunges and deadlifts and things like that but also you know and train glutes harder don't do one leg day a week train glutes three times a week and then also instagram so instagram comes along and like now the guys are at a major disadvantage it's like we we could we could post Tell me about it yeah we could post ourselves doing 10 chin-ups and you know no one cares okay. a woman does that and they're like oh my god you're amazing and we post a, a shirtless selfie and no one cares <laughs> a woman yeah. posts one and it's every it's the you know when i got on instagram i was so intimate i was like wow here are these women with a million followers i don't even know who they are you may have a million followers and they have powerful voices they have all these followers so you get these strength coaches that would come on and they'd be doing hip thrusts because I'd be tagged in all of all these posts, you know, people would tag me and I'd see the, the, the woman would be going, I love this hip thrust exercise. I feel my glutes so much, you know, here's my favorite method or something. And then some, some male powerlifter or strength coach would come on and go, that exercise is very unsafe. Mm. It doesn't work. And then the girl, the girl would reply and go, well, that's funny because I've hurt myself with squats and deadlifts before, and I've never hurt myself with hip thrusts. And as to whether it works or not, I've never felt anything work my glutes more than this. So you're wrong. And their comment would get like, you know, 500 likes, and it would shut that guy up. And the guy, the guys realize I can't. We don't have the, the men don't have the power they used to. Instagram yeah. kind of gave the women way more power, and the guys, and and it was the women wanted to know how the, you know the females wanted to know how their favorite women were training. They weren't flocking to the men asking us like they were asking these women. So, and they all loved hip thrust and that's what really made the hip thrust popularity and glute training popularity skyrocket. So I'm proud of that because I think the glutes are important. I never wanted to take the way I'm, I'm the glute guy, but I'm more, much more than, like I love all of strength and conditioning. I love every aspect of it from, yeah. from, from the physical therapy end of things to personal training, to strength coaching, to training of athletes, to bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, strongman training for sport. I love biomechanics. I love physiology. I love everything, every aspect of it. And I never wanted to put the focus on glutes and take emphasis away from other things. It was just the glutes deserve more recognition. But I do think the one bad thing I don't, I'm not proud of is it made some people insecure about their butt mm. who have lousy glute genetics. You know, sure. since, since the dawn of bodybuilding is typically calves, right? Like some people yeah. have, like I don't have to do calf raises and I have nice calves, thank God. <laughs> some people <laughs> have these skinny little twig calves and they can't do anything about it. Well, everyone has strong parts and weak parts for me my pecs develop very quickly i don't have to work hard at them but 
other muscles, not so much. And like my quads, I cannot get huge quads to save my life. I wish I could. I envy those who can get giant quads. But anyway, uh, the women who struggle with their glutes, it's like I made them insecure about it. So that's why I like this tiny but mighty concept. It's like my, like if for even for me, my glutes aren't the biggest in the world, but you should have seen where I came from. I had nothing. They're mm. way bigger than when I started but they're also strong. You know, I can hip, I've hip thrusted 800 pounds. I've yeah. deadlifted 620. My glutes are strong and I'm proud of them for my performance and everyone can get strong. So that I never wanted to make people feel insecure or less, you know, less worthy because they don't have good glute development. That's the one thing I don't like about it. Do you feel like, so I know, you know, kind of on the same line, like if somebody were to deadlift or squat 800 pounds, It'd be a really big deal. People would that, that would get a lot of likes on Instagram. That would get a lot of praise from people because they know how much work it takes to be able to do that and to kind of you know to put 800 pounds on your back is no small feat. Do you think that? Well, first question: Do you why do you think people don't care as much about you putting 800 pounds on a on a barbell and hip thrusting it? And question number two: Do you think it's easier? harder or, or, or just as hard to get to that 800 pound thrust as it would be to get to say an 800 pound deadlift or an 800 pound squat? Great questions. Okay. So my thoughts on this, the reason why, you know, squats and deads, it's this double-edged sword because they're the two lifts that give you the most street cred. They're the hardest lifts there are, you know, um, you're using the most weight, but they're, it's also, a, a, it's, it's, when you squat a lot, you know, you have to have very strong quads, okay? When you deadlift, you have to have strong legs. But you're also going to have huge spinal loading, and you have to stay arched. If you round, you increase yeah, the likelihood of getting injured when right. you, when, with that much weight, you know? So it's kind of this testament to, like, it's very rare. Now, it is, your strength in squats and deadlifts and stuff has a lot to do with your anthropometry, too. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and, and it's funny because I, I published a paper with Andrew Vygotsky and Brad Schoenfeld and Greg Knuckles and Meg Bryant in and who else? Chris, uh, who else was on it? Chris Beardsley. A bunch of people were on it. And we found that, you know, squat strength isn't as related to these variables as we think. Like, uh, but it's just obvious it is. You can find this like Polish dwarf who squats like four times body weight and because the dwarfs aren't just shorter, they have smaller femurs and he just barely goes down and comes up and racks it. Um, but he can't deadlift that much because his hands are small and he can't grip the barbell. So it's like the same thing <laughs> that makes him an amazing squatter limits his deadlift. Like he mm -hmm. can squat like, I don't know, I can't remember what he weighs. Say he weighs like 120 and he squats like, say it's like 600 or something, but he can yeah. only deadlift like in the 300s. Now, uh, if you have very long arms, it's like you're, it's like you're doing a, a block pull or a rack mm -hmm. pull, you know, mm -hmm. a deadlift. If you have, and, you, and I think it's funny, the people who act like, well, everyone should be upright in a squat. And it's like, you've never trained these basketball, NBA players mm -mm. with these long legs that fold over like an accordion. You can do, every, you can have them do front squats, you can elevate their heels. They're still leaning forward. Like they can't, 
yeah. whenever you say so, whenever trainers make bold comments, I know they haven't worked with many people. It's like you're you're exposing yourself to those of us who really do have a lot of experience. But anyway, it's funny. Let me if I can say something on that. Right, I'm sure you deal with this a lot. Is I'll get people who come to me who have been told that, like, oh, your your squat is is messed up because you're not squatting upright. They have all these preconceived notions about how much they suck at certain lifts, and I tell them. I don't see anything wrong. I think you actually, I think you move pretty well and you're just moving around what your biomechanics will let you do. And it usually like, first of all, makes them feel a lot better about themselves. And second of all, all of a sudden they like doing that lift again because they don't feel like they're broken. Oh, exactly. They needed that validation from a strength coach who knows what they're doing and they were flying along. They just thought you're supposed to be doing this upright, like almost like a Smith machine. Yeah. You don't mean it all. Um, but anyway, okay. So, so squats and deads are harder than hip thrusts. Okay. They, they, they take more concentration. They require more spinal stability. You know, you have to stabilize your spine. That's hard to do with that much weight. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have to breathe in, brace, diaphragm needs to contract. You've got to come down and not move side to side. So, I mean, you got to walk it out properly. You have to be in the zone. (laughs) anything wrong and you know when i go for a new squat one rep max there's always this even even if i'm in a rack i'm like i am i might not survive this you know there's a chance i might die yeah. <laughs> that's why i always like at the very bottom you know you shoot up out of the hole you're just hoping you have enough momentum to get through your sticking region and and, and conversely <laughs> okay so so i call it your lightning bolt right your torso femur tibia and everyone has a unique lightning bolt. And some lightning bolts are much more, much better suited for squatting than other lightning bolts, you know? Well, in hip thrust, there's no, not much of a disadvantage. It's mm. like everyone can hip thrust well. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you have, uh, you know, okay, if you have long tibias, then you might have to use a taller bench or you'll be at like an upward angle. Um, if you have a really short torso, it can be hard. You might not want to come to the ground with them because you'll slide down. So there are some challenges, but still everyone can be good at the hip thrust. You're not as limited. It doesn't require much coordination. And so it's, it's and also it, some people like, for example, your client, Lane Norton. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lane, what is the most he's squatted in deadlift? He's squatted what? Like six, six, sixty one. Six, uh, power, yeah, that was his world record. And he deadlifted 716, I believe, in competition. Yeah. Yeah. So 661 squat, 716 pound deadlift. Mm-hmm. And it's the weirdest thing because I've, I've trained with him a couple of times with hip thrusts. And he's, oh so, weak, he's so weak. Thrust. He's like <laughs> 315 pounds is really hard for him, you know? Yeah. And I can take 315 and I think I could launch it like a foot off the air, like if I catapulted it like it's so easy for me nothing against you lane just you, no, you and i, I both know that hip thrusts aren't your thing i gladly and he has huge glutes yeah lane has huge glutes i'd gladly trade lane and be way better at squats and deadlifts than sure. hips, you know yeah. but what is it because lane has bigger glutes than i do i think so yeah. it, it's, it's something about the and I remember seeing this article a long time ago, many years ago by Scott Delp, and it, they moved the hip joint center like two centimeters in each direction. 
like down, up, left, right, and then diagonally in each direction. And it's been a long time, but if you moved it like up and to the right, you were way stronger at hip extension. But if you moved down to the left, you were way stronger at hip flexion, but weaker at hip extension. So, and I think it's probably range specific. Clearly, I have very strong end range hip extension strength. Mm. You know, Lane has more flexed range. Whatever his, and we're not very good at, you know, even biomechanists, we don't have this down to a T. But I guarantee if you took these top engineers, you talk these, took these people from NASA and tried to get to the bottom of this and you studied my hips versus Lane's hips and my structure versus his, they'd be able to say, yeah. And, and especially if you use like dynamometers and stuff, you'd be like, yeah, he, Brett has way more end range hip extension strength, but Lane has more flexed range or Lane has this or whatever the difference, both skeletal and muscular with your moment, your muscle moment arms and things like that. Um, and so yeah, squats and deads are harder. They garner more respect. If I do an 800 pound, and the other thing is, if you do a legit 800-pound hip thrust, but this thing is you see these crummy, it's like ruined. It's like if every deadlift, every 800-pound deadlift you ever saw was like round-backed and ugly and looked like a scared cat doing it, you know, they, it would, it would um, cast doubt and, and, you know, influence the credibility of the lift. And most mm. of the time you see these 800-pound hip thrusts, it's some skinny person. Same with these, a lot of these women will be like, Oh my God, Brett, I, I hip thrusted 500 pounds. And I'm like, oh, great. And those, I'll watch the video and they, they crawl up it and, they're like, and they're, their chest is up like this. They're hyperextending their spine. They get a short range of motion. They don't even come close to locking it out. And then they crash, come crashing down to the ground. Like you didn't even work your glutes during that set at all, you know? Yeah. Uh, if, if every time you saw something, it was like really good, legit form, you'd be more impressed. But but interestingly, for those same reasons, the hip thrust, in my opinion, is the better lift because, because it doesn't require so much stabilization of the spine. It's not as hard on the spine. You don't right. have the now you can get hurt. You're low, you can get back pain from the hip thrust if you hyperextend. Um, you know, some people need to really focus on staying in neutral. The way I teach it, you don't hyperextend though. But anyway, mm -hmm. with squats and deads, most you can get hyperextension-related pain if you're hyperextending during squats and deads. But a lot of the real, the serious injuries are from flexion, from rounding. And yeah. it, it's not that rounding in, is inherently dangerous; it's just rounding under heavy load. So hip thrusts aren't as dangerous, and they're not; they don't require much coordination. And any body style, any anthropometry is well suited for it. It's very stable. You got three points of contact. The bench is on your back, and you got both feet. It's very, you know, it's just a, and that's why I think one of the reasons why it works the glutes better. Sure. But it doesn't take the place of squats. Squats are still the king of lower body exercises. They build the quads, the adductors, the glutes, um, and they're very functional. Hip thrusts mm -hmm. are also very functional for other reasons. They build the glutes and they build more end range hip extension straight deadlifts. The hip hinge pattern is huge it's very functional it builds the hamstrings the glutes the forearms the erectors like you need to do if you're training for function you need to do all of them but that was right. a great, great question i think maybe you know maybe it also has to do with obviously there's a sport that's made to see who can deadlift and, and, and squat the most and there's no sport for who can hip thrust the most unless you count instagram as a 
as a sport or a competition. But yeah, um, as well. on that same thread, I think I see this. I, I, I tend to see two different extremes. You mentioned how people, um, when they go for like a one rep max hip thrust and their form is really terrible and they're hyperextending and they're doing everything basically wrong. Um, on the other end of things, and maybe I see this more with females, as I just kind of watch at the gym sometimes, I see some some girls who come in who you could tell they want to get into like training their glutes, but they're kind of new, maybe they, don't, they haven't had a trainer help them out or anything. And they're always using such low weights. And I always think to myself, like, is it just that they're afraid to use heavier weights? Maybe they think that they're not strong. Like, what have you noticed with people that you've worked with in person? Do you feel like people come in and underestimate themselves more often than not when it comes to their glutes or any exercise for that matter? Do you think it's a more of a case of them being scared because they don't want to get bulky? Is it still that kind of thing? What have you noticed? Okay, so such good questions. Um, so I remember seeing on Mike Boyle's, uh, he's a strength coach, in uh, Boston, and I saw he was training a, a female uh, uh, Olympic hockey Olympian, and she did a weighted chin up with 45 pounds, and she busted out five reps. And up until that time, I had never, it never even dawned on me to have my female clients try weighted chin ups. I just never, I don't know why, I just, you know. I think the most I ever had was a girl get 12 chin-ups, but I never thought, oh, let's add weight. It was like, that's what men do. Men add right. weight. Women do. I don't know why. It just, sometimes you have to see it. It's like that four minute mile effect or whatever. Roger Bannister broke it one year and then the next, the next Everybody. Year, yeah. 50 more people broke it. It's just yeah. causing that barrier. And so um, a lot of times with hip thrusts, it's like, if you just did them on your own, you would just stick to like 135. But if you see someone doing like a 400 pound hip thrust, you're like, oh wow, I didn't realize you could get that strong at them. But what you said is just right on the money. And it's these two extremes. So I would venture to guess like everyone who comes and trains with me in person, they're like, oh my God, I got such a good glute workout. And I would say 20% of them hip thrust just right, okay? Cause they follow me and they watch my videos they're just right. The remaining 80% are split down the middle. 40% of them go too heavy and mm -hmm. I have to take weight off and I fix their form or I optimize their form. And then they feel their glutes more and they're like, oh man, I, I, you know, I like this style way more. I'm going to go lighter and use this type of form and I feel it more. Then the other 40% and it might even be more than this because I, and I always do this with all these beginners who come or like their first time at, at glute lab, I'll go, all right, let's try, uh, let, let's, let's, you know, I'm like, let's I put on 135 and they're like, Oh, I'm not used to using this much. And I'm like, I know you can get, I can look at you and I know you can get 135. Just try it, you know? Yeah. And they get it. They'll get it for like 12 reps. Okay. Then I go, I'm just doing this just to show you how strong you are. And I throw on another plate. I mean, mm -hmm. this is 225 pounds. You know, this is, uh, you can do this. I just want you to try it here. And they're like, no, I, there's no way I can do it. And I'm like, just try it. Remember the form I taught you. Look forward, you know. And then they get it. They'll get it for like three reps. And they're like, right. oh, my God, I can't believe it. And then 
then I'll back off and, and, you know, have them do a few more sets with lighter loads and really focusing on form. But then that's what, that's the, that's what they needed to get them over that mental hurdle. And I don't think it's fear of getting bulky. I think it's just, um, hell, imagine never watching videos of strong people. Imagine you just like <clears throat> got thrown into a gym and you said, you, you, here's a gym, use it. Mm -hmm. You never knew of like strength standards or anything. You just went and used the different weights. You'd, you'd get to a comfort zone with every machine and every exercise. And then all of a sudden, so you'd, you know, that's why, because a lot of these people lift from their home or something or, but that's what guys do. We go to the gym and we look, we pay attention. We're like, oh my God, look at that guy benching three plates per side, you know? Damn, right. I'm, I'm only using 185. He's doing 315. And look, he's got a huge chest and arms, you know? I need to be doing that. <laughs> I need to work harder. Yeah. We're competitive. And especially if you've trained with, you know, like on a team in a sports setting, like you, <clears throat> you know what everyone does. It's like, you know, this guy's good at squats. This guy's good. But you're, you go, you train for performance. You want to be your strongest at every lift. And the, a lot of these people have not <clears throat> been pushed. They haven't been coached. They haven't been in an environment where there's really strong people. Once they get, <clears throat> I remember training this, this, person this woman came to phoenix when i lit this before i moved to san diego she came for two weeks and i trained her for two weeks <laughs> she came to me probably six times and she was hip thrusting 135 for three sets of 10 well by the sixth session she was doing because i just immediately had her do 135 for 30 reps i'm like keep going keep going she's like oh my god the burn and I'm like why were you doing sets of 10 she's like I don't know I thought I was doing them hard I had her do the next session 225 then I had her do 275 but anyway by the sixth session she was doing one 135 for 30 225 for 20 275 for 12 and then uh yeah that was like her sets uh, in just two weeks and she put two inches on her glutes in those two weeks wow and yeah I, this is where you get these husbands that visit me <laughs> i would have that happen right phoenix days these boyfriends and husbands would show up and they'd go uh you don't know me i'm so-and-so's husband i just want to shake your hand and just tell you, uh -huh. you keep doing what you're doing man you're doing great things and i think it's so funny because they were they were so appreciative of their spouse's glute development but um but uh, yeah, two inches in, in, in two weeks, that's crazy. That's crazy, yeah. Muscle, muscle doesn't build that fast. It has to be some edema, some cell swelling, some, some pump, but then it never goes down. It never went back to, so I don't know what happened there. I, don't, I remember talking to a sports scientist about that, but it's, you get that, you do that, and then you set them on track, and they, they, from there on, they see great progress. That's a, that's a thing. That's why I always tell people, if you can come train with me one time, I, I can help your form and I can help you figure out the weight you should be using. And I'll also give them goals. That's a good, that's a good point. I think, uh, like, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I cut you off there. That's I'll say in three months, I want you doing double body weight for three sets of 10. So you weigh 130. I want you doing 260 pounds for three sets of 10 reps. And then I'll be like, DM me in three months. I want to hear that you hit your goal. And you know, that, right. Yeah. A huge health so so for what i'm hearing basically is that partly partly a matter of people not really understanding what they're capable of and maybe needing somebody 
to tell them, hey, you can do this and kind of getting over that hump because they just, they had a mental block in their head as far as what they thought they could do. And then you came along or maybe another trainer came along or they saw somebody in the gym hitting a weight that they didn't think was possible and they got, they worked up the courage to do it because of you or whatever, whoever they're working with. And all of a sudden they're just like, they've got, they got past that first hurdle and now they can continue climbing. That brings up a good, a good question. So you obviously work with the glute lab. You have your, your gym down in San Diego. You work with a lot of people online. You know, you have your individual clients. I know you have your booty by Brett, which is more of like kind of sending out to the same program to a lot of people that they follow if I'm not wrong. Do you feel um, that the online coaching is can be as effective as in-person coaching do you or do you feel like in-person coaching is always going to be better if if it's something you can do in person is so much better yeah. uh, it always is however i would venture to guess just from being at so many you know i always train at commercial gyms it's part of my job when i travel and even here i have two memberships i got a membership to the gym and also crunch because I want to see what's going on. I, I mean, this is my industry. I need to, I can't hide in a cave in, in my glute lab all day long. I need to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so judging by the quality of personal trainers out there, it's just like every profession. You see this with doctors, lawyers, physical therapists, you name it, whatever profession, there's like this <laughs> continuum of the the lower level people who are piss poor at their job and then the creme de la creme at the top so if they're training with a not so good personal trainer also judging by the programs i see that they're doing that are given to me or the things that are being told like i could get better results training someone online than another personal trainer would training them in person but i'll qualify that with my booty by brett i have videos and i walk them through it i think that's crucial if i just had so many coaches so many bodybuilding coaches they give, they give their clients a program and there's no, like, there's no video tutorials. There's no form checking. There's no like, Hey, like, and these are like, these are people paying like 500 a month for online coaching and they don't even, and that's such a critical component. Like I'm a strength and conditioning specialist. I want to see, cause that's half of the, half of it is, are they using good form and are they progressing? You don't just give someone a program and expect them to do well with it. Right. You need, they need guidance and feedback. Um, but what's weird is with Booty by Brett, uh, I, some people see amazing results. And it's like, for me, it's like, yes, I know I'd see way better results if I trained all these people in person. You'll never replace that. You know, and that's one thing. I'm struggling to keep up on the Booty by Brett Facebook page. It's gotten out of control. <laughs> but I spent a solid month answering like all doing all the form check requests. And it's, it's, it's so hard because like I give these a generic program out, you know, this month we're focusing on squats this month. We're specializing in hip thrusts mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh God. Okay. This person, all they have to hip thrust off of is this 20 inch tall plyo box. Mm. It's terrible. It's too high. So I try to come up with ways to help them try to put a step under your feet or try or, you know, but in some scenarios, don't even hip thrust because you don't have a good setup. Right. Some people squat and it's like, 
I might be able to get that person to squat in person to squat well, but online, sometimes it's like you give them something to work on. And I know some coaches will be like, oh, like I've dealt with these powerlifting types that are like, oh, I can get everyone to squat perfectly. No, you can't. Like, not, no, you can't. You think so because you haven't worked with that many people from all yeah. walks of life. And I do agree you can always give someone a squat pattern, but sometimes they need to be slightly above parallel. Sure. Their, their squat is their best squat is a goblet squat. Uh, you, you know, sometimes you need to elevate people's feet. Sometimes you need to do box squats where you keep vertical shins and sit way back. It just, I mean, there's so many issues at play, but if I was working with these people, I would flat out, some people I would flat out tell like my glute squad, my best squatter is Amanda. And I told her, you're not, you're not deadlifting. You can trap bar deadlift, but every time she deadlifts, she rounds. Mm. It's her hip flexion mobility and she can do RDLs just below the kneecaps and she can keep the arch. But if she goes from the ground, she, she hurts herself. So I give her trap bar deads or yeah. kettlebell, heavy kettlebell deadlifts and she's fine. But everyone needs a, it's ideal to work with an awesome coach uh, who knows what they're doing. The problem is those people are few and far between. So mm-hmm. you'll never replace, you'll never be able to do what you can do. And also, you know, I can even watch them on like Skype or something working out and you won't replace what you can see with your own two Good eyes point. in 3d when you move around them and check out different angles. So you'll never replace the in-person coach, but I would argue that, you know, uh, how many people can I work with in person? That's true. A couple hundred. Yeah. And instead, I can work with five thousand with my booty by Brett. Right. It's unlimited. So, yeah, I, I, think- I, I do see your point there. It's like it's a. I had a the, to cross that bridge at one point and be like, well, and then I was like, okay, I know these people can see better results. And I just had a funny testimonial the other day that I posted on my Instagram, and it was like, I spent all this money and all this time with this previous trainer, mm-hmm. and I spent nine months with Brett. Or whatever it was, and my my butt and my physique look way better than all, and and I and it's only thirty bucks a month, and I spent a fortune on this other person. Yeah. So uh, online is, but here's a weird thing too. And you might agree with this. Sometimes you, you get, with the online, they can email you, especially if you're a coach. They can email you a lot. They can text you. They can. So they actually would get better results with you than they would with their other trainer if they sure. couldn't text that person or if that trainer doesn't take, you know, half the trainers you see go to any commercial gym. The trainer doesn't even write out a program. They wing it on the spot. They're too lazy to write a yeah. workout. So yeah. you show up, the client shows them, they're like, what's up? Okay, let's try some, uh, we're going to start off with some walking lunges. Okay, just start walking, uh, just start lunging up and back. And then they're like texting and doing Instagram and then, Okay, okay, that's good. We're going to go to this. They don't take videos of their clients. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't utilize progressive overload. Like, they don't even mm-hmm. know what they're doing. No. They get you some results, but not much. So then you come along and you say, I want you to take videos of your list. And I'm going to have you, I want you telling me your RPE. I want you, you know, communicating back and forth. And so you could actually see way better results than that other person. So yeah. it, it's a great question, but it just depends. But then if that same person did work with you in person, you'd see even better results. It'd be right? better. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, so I, I mean, I used to work with people in person when I was in undergrad and grad school, and now I don't because I don't have a, a gym to work out of that I feel comfortable working out of. And I don't really 
right now I'm not in a place where I want to spend all my day in my own gym, but <laughs> I kind of have gotten used to the online uh, coaching lifestyle on my end at least, but uh, it's something I would like to do eventually anyways. But I think in both areas, you can see the same pitfalls. So if you go to a, a, a regular commercial gym, you might run into somebody who really knows what they're doing if you hire them to be your personal trainer. But I'd say, you know, most of the time, nine times out of 10, maybe you're going to get somebody who's doing what you were just talking about. Like they're not really planning out your workouts. They're not really putting much thought into what you're doing. And I think the same thing can be found online. Unfortunately, you're going to, I mean, you might hire somebody who just sends you a templated workout that's on a word, you know, it's not even thought out. It's just a word document that says, you know, squat three by 10 deadlift four by eight, you know, something like that, as opposed to somebody like yourself, or I'll throw my hat in the ring, I guess, uh, that actually thinks out the program, has video links for you to look at, has notes on how to execute the program, asks you for feedback, asks you to give them, you know, videos of the, of your, of your workouts, so you can tweak form and things like that. But I would agree that there's things that, you know, you can catch in person that you can't necessarily catch on a video. Um, and, Not even and, just the, with exercise form, also just their overall energy levels. Yeah. And yeah. Things like exactly. that. You know, I, a lot of times when I train my clients, I, I have planned for them to do this and they show up and they're fatigued and they're tired and their warm up sets look heavy. And I'm like, you know, do, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, do, you know, especially working with these 20 year olds. It's like mm, partying. Yeah, did you party this weekend? Did you do ecstasy? Did you do like, any <laughs> pills? Did you sleep? Okay. All right. We're, you know, we're going to yeah. go heavy on Monday today. We're going to go lighter. I want you to, you know, work on technique. Feel, you know, work on the mind-muscle connection, but Thursday we'll try to set a PR or something. But anyway, it's, yeah, you, you would never know that online. You sure, sure, and you can do everything. You can, I mean, you could set up a bunch of systems to try to capture that. But at the end of the day, there, you know, um, people can't lie to you in person because, you, like you said, you can tell what they're moving like. You can tell what their energy is like. If they're a talkative person, and for some reason today they're kind of just. Yeah. going through the motions you can see that online you can't see that they can just lie to you and say they're feeling fine or they just don't tell you that they went out and partied because they, they know maybe that you're going to give them a lighter workout or something like that and they don't want that yeah. to happen but um you know i think uh, it, it's tough I, that, that brings up uh, another question of mine which is you know when i first started doing online coaching and coming from sort of personal training my main concern was like, how am I going to know what this person needs? Like, how, how am I going to assess the way they move? How am I going to assess what kind of squat I need to give them or deadlift? And I've come up with some ways to do that. But how I, I would I like to know how you go about doing that. So if you get an individual client who wants programming from you, how do you go about figuring out how, what, what kind of program you're going to write for them? What kind of movements you might give them? So... I okay. First of all, it's funny listening to you because how old are you? Um, just turned twenty nine. Twenty nine, and I'm forty three. So I've got some years on you. And I remember yeah. being around thirty, and I was. It's almost like we're afraid to make money. It's like you <laughs> overthink things. It's like, look, this yeah. person wants to hire you. They're yeah. willing to pay you. Are you confident in your ability? Yes. Then 
take their money and write and do your best. You know, yeah. so I remember thinking that too. Like, I don't like, I'm, I'm always used to online or like, there was no online coaching when I started personal training. We didn't have the freaking internet. So it was like, it was like, you know, you, I train people in person. So when it started online training, I'm like, how can I do this right? I don't want to just jump into this without doing it justice. And I had all these concerns and, um, now I don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Oh, okay. So I, I do personalized programming. I write their programs, which I'll get to in a second. But I think it's important in this industry to, it's like I wrote down all the ways to make money in fitness. And I have a, a list of it. And it's interesting because I have influencers because San Diego is like, I mean, hell, you just visited me. All, everyone, when they travel to San Diego, they're like, I want to stop by Glute Lab. So I meet a lot of people. And like, you know, I'll ask them, they'll ask me, how do you make your money? And I'll go, how do you make your money? And a lot of people have one main revenue stream. Mm -hmm. well, this, this person does 30 day challenges. This person has a pay website. This person has an app. This person writes eBooks. And it's funny. I don't do any of those. I don't have any four of those. Uh, and, and, and by the way, this is a side tangent. You, you can get carried away being like, Oh, I need an app. I need this, I need to do this, and then you hate your life. And so you should just focus on the things you like doing. I don't like personal training as much anymore because it kills me. Hell, uh, like, and even podcasting, I'm soaked in sweat right now. When I podcast, <laughs> I'm like, I have all this energy, and yeah. when I train people now, I am, I'm not the trainer that's like, okay, two more, good job, like low energy. I'm like trying to motivate people, and I'm, really concentrating so if i train people for three hours i'm wiped out now i used to yeah. train people eight hours a day now three hours is like where my quality starts to drop out but my days are fun for me because it's like i've got my things to do list and it's like all right uh i have to make this list for uh, for my partners i've got to call one of my business partners uh i've got I had nsca called me at 10 30 because i did a talk for the virtual training conference and i need to go through that and they need to walk me through it then I have the podcast with you. I have another call at two o'clock with my manufacturers. Then I got to go drop by the, my mailbox and pick up some stuff. Then I want to lift. Then I got to handle emails. I got to make an Instagram post. And uh, I have two clients that I have to train. And that's my day. Mm -hmm. It's jam packed. Then I'll get home exhausted and I'll try to answer all my DMs. <laughs> and, and, and my day is jam packed, but it doesn't feel too it's kind of fun because of the differences in there. It's not one thing for 10 hours. Right, but right, right. That's a tangent. Back to what you were saying. I realized I hate waking up to, so you, I have this, you know, I have this things to do list. Here it is. It's like I write things down of what I need to do. And I like to just wake up and get right to it. But a lot of times you wake up thinking, I'm going to make this list I need to make for them. No, you can't because you woke up to, I mean, if I had a hundred clients, online clients, um, I mean, you can do the math. I could put it something out tomorrow and say, all right, guys, I'm taking 100 clients. I would have it by the next day. I know yeah. I would. Yeah. With it, yeah. I mean, with my, pop, it sounds cocky, but with my level of popularity, nah. I would have a hundred clients and I could say it's, it's 500 bucks a month. And, you know, so then I'd be making what? 500 times 100, I'd be making 50 grand a month. I'd be making 600 grand a year from that alone. And right. guess what? I would hate my life. Sure. The goal is 
happiness, not just money. Money can make you miserable if that's all you focus on. So you need to do what makes you happy. And when I wake up to like 14 emails and 10 text messages, it stresses me out. And then you're, you, you want to have good vibes. <laughs> like you want to be like, I'm going to set aside these two hours for replying to these people. Yeah. You get an email and you should be smiling. That's great, Susie. That's a great question. I'm going to link you to, uh, but, but I just am annoyed because I'm trying to get these things done. And I'm, I have my, in my mind, the things I want to get done. You don't want to be annoyed that your paying client is asking you a good question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes I'd be like, oh my, and you try and make an FAQ to cover these things and they don't read it. And yeah. they'll ask you these questions. And it, annoy, it annoys you more because you're like, oh you, oh, you clearly didn't read that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I just said, I'm not doing the online. And yeah. some of my friends love it. It's, but some people love in-person training. Some people love the online. So I love writing programs. I've always been obsessed with writing programs. I have like programs that I wrote when I was 18 and wow. you know, like and all along the way I have just this evolution of, and I love looking back at how I used to design programs and I went through these different phases and yeah. So I have a questionnaire for them. Now okay. I don't like, I always say this when you start working with someone, if they really love this way and you make them do this way, they don't have buy-in sometimes. Like for example, yeah. Two of the two of the most common types of training are body part split and then full body. If you only do full body training and then you try a body part split, you kind of feel like you're like, okay, that was cool, like hitting all the angles, but I feel like I didn't even do anything. Because you're used to doing you're used to a workout being three sets of squats, three sets of bench press, three sets of deadlifts, three sets of chin-ups, three sets of hip thrusts, and then whatever. You know what I mean? Right. That's brutal. Like to do squats, bench, deadlifts, chin ups, a lot. Plus in one workout is brutal. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and it wipes you out. Then you go do a delt day and it's like resets yeah. of, you know, lateral raises, front raises, rear delt raises, maybe some like dumbbell shoulder press or cable upright row or something. And then that's it. You're like, you're used to working your whole body and now you're just working this. Right. Uh, and it, it feels like you don't do anything. Now, on the flip side, if you're used to doing a body part split and you move to a full body, then you're like, oh, okay, I liked this, but I miss feeling the burn. Mm. I, feel like I didn't fatigue the fibers. I didn't hit all the angles. Cool, I did military. But what about rear delt raises? What about my lateral raise? I didn't do any lateral raises. How are my delts going to grow if, I'm, if I was doing 16 sets for delts and now I'm just doing three? So they, they have this bias. And if you move them too far away from that, they're, they don't have the buy-in. They're, they're skeptical. So I try to start them off where they're at because if they like body part splits, I can create a body part split for them. That's, and you can trick them too, like into doing full body. It's like, you'll do, okay, I'm giving you a body part split. Monday, I'm giving you delts and quads. You know, Tuesday, I'm giving you uh, chest and hams. Yeah. I'm giving you uh, back and glutes or whatever. And then it's like, they're actually doing full body every day, you know, or yeah. whatever. But, or you can just move them a little bit. But once you get them to what I call the compliment phase, they're, then they're your, your soldiers. Like when you get them, you work with them for two to three months and all of a sudden they, they're getting compliments, especially if you work with their diet too, you know, mm -hmm. you don't just want to, so you work with their diet, you work with their resistance training, you get them gaining strength. And then all of a sudden they have friends from their colleagues at work 
and their friends and family and they're like what are you doing i want to do what you're doing because you you look great right. then all of a sudden you can give them whatever and they'll follow it to a t but if you start that off too fast then it can backfire on you and you don't want them being skeptical at all you want yeah. them so I don't move the needle too much from the beginning. I, I gotcha. them off saying, how do you like to train? How many days a week do you want to train? What's your equipment availability? What are your favorite exercises? Do you have any exercises you hate? Have you, in, do you, have you had any reoccurring injuries? What, you know, are there any exercises that you hurt yourself on a lot? You know, I want to know what they like and what they don't like. Because if someone yeah. loves training arms and then you don't give them any curls or tricep extensions, they won't they won't like the training program as much as they could and i the one thing i can't stand is when co when trainers and coaches are like you won't see me programming isolation movements i'm a hmm. functional i'm a functional trainer and it's like how how is it a big deal if you threw in you know two sets of curls at the end of their workout or two sets of tricep extensions it's not that big of a deal meet them halfway and it's not, and also curls are functional. Like carry heavy stuff around. You're like this right. isometric right. curl position. They are functional. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, like if, if my, so you mentioned like your chest being something that grows and then you have a hard time with your quads. Like for me, I've always felt like my arms need, uh, you know, more, more size. So like if I hired a coach and they just were like, yeah, I'm not giving you any arm workouts because you know, it's not functional. I, I fire them because I need arm work. Exactly. You know? and, and picture that everyone has that. I mean, even pro athletes, I've worked with some pro athletes and they love training arms. Like they're, they're, they're everyone's human. And well, sometimes training can just be fun for fun's sake. Like, right. Why does everything have to be like, Oh, I'm doing this because it's going to elicit this. And this. they're just fun. It's, I like to do curls. I get a pump. I look good in the mirror. Yeah, and 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 to me, that's like most of your clients come to you for physique purposes. But I think we're bored. Trainers and coaches are bored. We want to make everything about function, and yeah, that's true. Not always have to be about function, but also you'll get. Also, it's just like why I like flexible dieting. You know, you'll you'll see the best results with your diet. You'll see the best results with your training if you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. If you stick with it for if five years from now, you're still eating nutritiously and still hitting the gym, you'll be in a much better place than if you killed it yourself for a year and then quit. So we right. need to do more things. Everyone buys a gym membership. They just don't go. Everyone right. starts a diet and loses some weight. They just don't stick with it. Right. So we need to be thinking as an industry, we need to be thinking of more strategies to keep them enjoying it. So your program that has 25 sets of brutal, you know, that's not easy to stick to. So I do, I'm known for my lower volume, but if you're really working hard, you know, a lot of my bikini competitors that will train with me, they do 30 sets in their workouts, but I'll give them 12, but they're wiped out. Hmm. I had 12 really hard sets during that hour, you know? So it, good point. I think a lot of people get into this trap of like, um, doing like useless volume where they're not really like pushing themselves harder like their first 10 sets of the day they pushed hard kind of and then like sets 10 through 20 and beyond they're just kind of like going through the motions and not really doing much to elicit hypertrophy at that point but they yeah. are stuck thinking that they need that many sets or else they're not going to grow you know 
yeah i agree it's like junk volume and yeah it's it's like it's almost like they're doing cardio it's like it's not hard yeah it's not it's almost like a it's like you're just they're just burning calories at that point yeah exactly yeah um i think so one thing that uh, is interesting is kind of you've touched on a couple times i guess is sort of this going back to the beginning like this disconnect sort of between what happens in social media or like in practice or like with the bros and things like that and and what happens maybe with the science and sometimes they don't agree like sometimes the science maybe hasn't investigated some of those things or it's just you know like you mentioned with the german volume training like they just didn't study it the right way they didn't have the right protocol but they're making claims that it doesn't work and that's what I get annoyed at any coach that doesn't also embrace science, but also any scientist that doesn't understand the limitations, which which, it's funny because I think there's a lot of jealousy in this industry. And so I've noticed I've gotten more flack from scientists as I've, as I've gained more popularity. You're getting hate from both sides. The scientists don't like you and the bros don't like you. Yeah. The coaches were always like, well, he doesn't train anyone. And I'm like, what? I've always trained people. But now you can't deny it because I have a gym. And then the the scientists are like, well, he's not publishing as much. Or some of the theories uh, don't have, you know, uh, uh, if if you make a claim, like I could pick apart my, I just wrote the book Glute Lab, okay? Spent two years of my life. And it's 606 pages. And if you said, Brett, Put on your science, science like your like science hat, like, and scrutinize this. I could go through it and just give me a red pen, and I could pick it apart. There's mm-hmm. no evidence of this. This is conjecture. This here's a study showing that this wasn't true. Here, what about this paper? But it's like those those researchers and the scientists they don't spend their days educating people like we do. Mm-hmm they write papers and they scrutinize things and they don't work with a lot of people and, and try to make broad, like sometimes models are fun, like models um, like the force vector theory, you know, is there, a, there is support in the research for it, but it's a nice useful model to make for training for athletics, for coaches to say, okay, I'm doing vertical hip extension exercise. I'm doing vertical lower body movements, I'm, I, I'm doing vertical plyos, but I need to also be doing horizontal hip extension exercise and horizontal plyos and lateral and rotary. I need to throw those in. The emphasis can still be on vertical, but then add these things in. Right. But uh, once someone in the research really tore that hy- hypothesis apart, um, and I, don't, I, I think they're spending too much time in the lab. You're getting too serious, you know? Mm-hmm. Not to say we should be lackadaisical with the claims we make, but it's like no. um, they start drifting too far and they don't have their practical roots. And, and it can happen both sides too. You can get so entrenched in your theories. And then, I mean, there's a lot of examples even going on right now where we're really hell bent on this is the model, this fits, it fits in this nice piece, but then the evidence doesn't support it. Right. right. We, we're all guilty of it in this industry. We, and that's why you have to be open-minded of being wrong. Like I know in my book, in like three years, I'll, you know, in a couple of years, I'll update it and I'll, it, I'll have to do some serious 
changes in that book because I'm wrong about a lot of things. And I, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of that. I like that. It's how would it be fun if you figured it all out? That's what makes us fun. Mm-hmm. What have you found um, maybe a few different things that you found, I mean, cause you've worked with thousands of people at this point, you know, what have you found maybe in practice that either hasn't been um, corroborated by the evidence in scientific research or on the flip side, what is maybe something you found that research says to be true that more often than not can't really be applied practically in the gym with the clients that you work with? Well, that's a good question. So one thing, and it's funny because I'm published on some of these papers with Brad Schoenfeld and James Krieger where, you know, these high volume routines saw better results than, than the lower volume uh, uh, groups. Mm-hmm. In practice, I, I, you know, I'm very weary of the long term. You know, I know I could take anyone. And that's what I see some coaches do, is they'll take some of my clients, will start working with a new coach, and, <clears throat> and they're like, God, I remember one, one of my, I've worked on and off with her for 10 years. She gets this powerlifting coach, and she's just setting PRs every day mm. for like three straight months of crushing PRs. And I'm like, and he tells her what load to use and what to get. And that's hard to do, like, as a coach, you know? Mm, takes do, a lot of work. Do 315 for three or whatever. Like, how, how do you know? Anyway, she was killing it. But I was like, <clears throat> Lizzie, like, you got to, ugh. And I knew what was going to happen. I knew if you keep, keep trying to go up, 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 something Crash. stops. You yeah. always hurt yourself. You mm. always hurt yourself. You have to deload. You have to periodize. You have to switch up strategies. You can't, no one just keeps going up and up. That's not how progressive overload works. But during those three months, she thought she stumbled upon the Holy Grail and she thought she had the greatest coach in the history of mankind. And he was, his one limit, major limitation was he doesn't understand. He pushes you until you break. And then she's never been the same again. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, I don't want to hurt people. I don't know. They're powerlifters. They're asked, they're willing to take that risk. But if I train my bikini competitors and stuff, I don't want them to ever get hurt. Yeah. Am I that, as trainers, like our first thing, just like doctors, like should do no harm. That should be the first thing we think about. Yep, exactly. So, but the really high, super high volume programs, I, it's like I can get, like take glutes, for example. I can get them doing super high volume if I do mostly exercise that work sh- work you in short shortened muscle length positions because they don't and they're more concentric in nature you know like hip thrusts barbell glute bridges cable pull throughs back extensions um body weight reverse hyper variations and all lateral band work those don't have this huge eccentric load where you're stretching right. a muscle under load uh, into these long muscle lengths and then reversing it um they don't even work you. None of those work you well in a stretched position. So therefore, they're not going to create much muscle damage. You won't get sore. You can do that five days a week if you wanted. You could do those exercises. And it might work very well. Maybe that works better than the traditional way. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I hope I can learn over time. Mm-hmm. But um, but if you try to do the the super high volume doing, you know, squatting three days a week, deadlifting three days a week, doing walking barbell lunges three days a week, then also throw in your hip thrusts, your back extensions, your seated hip abduction machine, your cable standing hip abduction, and then band work, it's a recipe for disaster. So you have to know what you're doing. You have to understand the biomechanics of these exercises and the physiology of, you know, if you have too much damage too often, you're not going to... You're not going to set PRs. You're not going to. Re- you're not going to be fully recovered. You're not going to. And so I have found that I like the more moderate routines, and I'm thinking more long term rather than just let's let's just get this person crazy results in two months, setting them up for failure because they're going to snap. This is thing with dieting too, and then something. So that's something that there is some some support in the research, but the research is mixed with that. Yeah, with volume stuff. Well, I'll, I'll chime in there. I think that when it came to so my, my thesis when I was in my master's program was two different models of DUP. Obviously, DUP was super popular back then when I was doing it. And so what I thought or what I kind of noticed was how everybody was getting hurt all of a sudden doing DUP the way that it was laid out for powerlifting, where you're doing squats, deadlifts, bench three, four times, five times a week even. And yeah, people were getting so strong. It was crazy. They were setting PRs, going to nationals, all these new world records, but then all of a sudden they're getting hurt, right? And so when you look at the research, those they're, you know, the most you can squeeze out of a research study in a traditional university setting is the length of a, of a semester. You can't really go more than that because everybody goes home, they go for the summer, whatever the case may be. So yeah, for eight to 12 weeks, maybe even 16 weeks, like BUP was awesome. People set PRs, they got stronger than ever. But what happens when you take that line beyond 16 weeks, right? We can't just assume it keeps going up. That's what happened to, what was that spacecraft that they launched because they, their projections said that it could last or it could withstand so much temperature, but they never actually tested it at that temperature and it blew up. It's the same kind of thing. Like, well, we're assuming it's just linear. There's never going to be a drop off. But I think with volume and intensity and the mix of those two, eventually you break just like your client. And that could actually have some like really long-term permanent effects. Oh, oh not, just, uh, not just from an injury perspective, but from a psychological perspective too. And so when DUP became so popular, I remember having clients do it. And God, the strength gains were insane. Mm. Like now, yeah. you'll never before seen these, these types of strength gains. But then you had people who had never had knee pain in their lives getting knee pain because they're squatting four days a week. They can't handle four days a week of squatting, you know, Mm-mm. people having hip pain from squatting. They, they, yes, they, they might have some FAI, like some femoral acetabular impingement, but if you squat twice a week with just three sets, you can handle it. But then you start doing four sets three times a week. It's too much. And and then, they get that pain and then it, it casts doubt. They have fear related, you know, uh, uh, it, it's the hesitation. If you have fear, you're not going to maximize your muscle activation. And, you know, um, so I, we all went through that phase at that time. And then you learn to back off and be more moderate. It's- Absolutely. Um, you know, so I think <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, the science and how it 
you know, coexists with practice and it coexists, like obviously you're a man of both sides. You're somebody who started out just as a personal trainer and learning as much as you could without, you know, the academia side of things. And then you decided to continue on with your education, go get PhD. What do you, I mean, and you're right. I feel like there's a lot of contention between both sides where, you know, the scientists want to um, kind of, you know, they're the experts, so they want they want to assert their expertise on what goes on in the gym, and then a lot of the people in the gym say, "Well, like you don't know what it's like in the gym, and so you can't really make those claims." What do you think can be done to bridge that gap? What do you think can be done to, you know, get rid of? Is it always going to just exist because there's jealousy on both sides? Do you think there's anything that we can do to really come together? You know, I know there's things like the NSCA and and, and a bunch of different or organizations that are trying to bridge the gap maybe, but it seems like there like it's a war zone almost. It's like really hard to bring those two sides together. So it's funny because I, I think you maximize your learning when you, it's a pie chart split into mm -hmm. thirds, right? So one third of your knowledge comes from training yourself. Mm -hmm. Like how can you test all these things? How can you test new exercises, new programs if you aren't lifting yourself? Okay. But you in that way you only learn about your body and how it responds then you train other people you learn about other people and then you so a third of it's training yourself a third of it's training others and then the other third is reading and listening to podcasts and going to conferences and learning through you know studying in whatever manner and uh and i don't see how anyone can argue that those three things aren't critical like how could anyone ever say, I learn in the trenches, the gym teaches me what I need to know? How the heck would we know any half of what we know if we didn't do conduct experiments and practice the scientific method? Obviously, that's needed to maximize your effectiveness as a trainer and a lifter and a coach. Conversely, obviously, you can't just be in a lab studying. You've got to... Be, also be a practitioner you if you don't understand the limitations of the knowledge you gain just from carrying out research then it, that's sad and right. but i see it all the time both sides and it's all due to it's this genetic think about it it's like a it's like a hardwired evolutionary men well humans i guess but i think more so with men too like we would never, if we were realistic, we'd probably have a hard time having any confidence to even like <laughs> mate with the opposite sex. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Like I'm Brett Contreras. I'm cool. I have 775,000 followers. Well, guess yeah. what? The rock has a hundred million. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm six foot four, 250 pounds. Well, uh, there's guys who are seven foot one and there's guys who are 250 pounds with, I probably have 18% body fat. There's guys who are 250 pounds with 8% body fat. You know, um, there's, I'm pretty sharp. I got my PhD. Trust me. I have colleagues that are way smarter than me. I know where I stand. I'm, you know, I've deadlifted 620. There's guys who have deadlifted a thousand at any single thing there's people that are way better than you you know before youtube i used to think i was kind of strong and then youtube came around and you see 
16 year old boys lifting like doing for 10 reps where I can do for one rep so it we have we have this thing where we have to like in order to have confidence we have to we, we I mean you'd be depressed if you were always comparing yourself to others and being realistic like oh my god like you'd be like why would this woman like me I'm so mediocre Every, you know I, I, this person's better than me at everything so we label people, we judge people. It's just a human psychologic condition. There's jealousy all around. And, and, and you have massive Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm. Dunning-Kruger effect is rampant. People are too stupid to know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. They overvalue their intelligence with things. Like, think about it. Everyone in the world is a political expert. Like, how would you know? I don't, I, I know what it takes to be an expert in something. Right. If I wanted to be making political recommendations. I would have to study this stuff. <laughs> I'm, I complain whatever city I live in. I'm like, man, they need to improve this. But I don't know the budget. I don't know the whole, all the circumstances that go involved in it. But everyone has an opinion. Mm. But the coaches, they don't understand. Because you can be an awesome coach never really studying science. If, especially if you intern in an awesome place and if you're, if you're kind of scientific in your practice, you're always striving to improve and you pay close attention and you tinker with things. You can be an awesome coach, never reading a journal article, especially if you were trained under some awesome coach and you learn their system and you learn how to coach the lifts. Sure. And, and so those, those types tend to underestimate because they'll, they'll be like, what can, you know, they'll read a research study and be like, this is stupid this study's stupid, this doesn't apply, but you, you can always learn from studies. You can, how are you ever gonna revolutionize anything if you aren't reading research and you aren't studying the science of things? Yes, you can be good, but you'll never reach your, be your best and you'll never revolutionize anything without knowing the science, okay? On the other hand, the scientists, they don't know what they don't know. They just read studies, they don't know, they don't know the challenges and what we deal with as trainers and the, the, the typical, pitfalls and, and mm. drawbacks that we have. And so they're, you know, say you study fat loss. Well, and you're like, well, just do this. All right. Well, you understand how hard it is for some people to just do this. You've got to work on habits and mindfulness and, and work on behavior, not just tell them, just hear your macros, you know, just stick to this. It's that easy. Get this many steps and eat these macros each day and you will see results not everyone can stick to them so we need to be respectful of you know you know you just be a good human and be like don't be don't don't be conceited and cocky and recognize that we can all learn from i can learn from the physical therapists i can learn from the bodybuilders i can learn from the powerlifters i can learn from the strongmen i can learn from the olympic weightlifters I can learn from the strength coaches. Mm. I can learn from the sports scientists and the researchers. I can learn from people who research physiology, people who research biomechanics, people who research pain and physical therapy, uh, anatomists, physiologists. I can learn from you know neuro specialists. Like I can learn from anyone. Everyone can. You just have to be um, drop the ego and 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 uh, and. Like online, like I've never once bashed someone online. I don't ever go in all my years of being on social media. I don't go on and be like, someone sets a PR and I write shitty form or like, <laughs> or like 
they post their physique progress and I'm like, you've been lifting for five years and that's all the muscle you've developed or mm. I don't do that. You know, it, it, people need to be more supportive of each other. And yeah, it's hard because it's like a dog eat dog world. It's a, it's cutthroat competition. Sometimes you can think of it like, how do I get ahead? How am I going to rise up in this industry? It's so, it's such a big industry. You know, you can feel like, I mean, hell I'll, I'll go like, look at some conference and I'm like, I don't even know who any of these people are and people don't even know who I am. <laughs> and it's a really big industry and it can be very intimidating. You might feel like you have to be rip on everyone, but that's not how you rise up. Right. Um, take it from me. That is not how you rise up in an industry. That's not how you rise up, how you elevate as a human. Yeah. Like I, I try to surround myself with very supportive people because what's the saying? Like a, a rising tides, right? Raise all ships. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, that's how you get ahead and you got this you know that this scarcity versus abundance mindset there's some truth to that like if you're the type that's threatened by everyone you're not going to achieve your maximum potential in life you're not going to be happy you got to have a little bit of that abundance mindset and be more supportive of people and that's all it is it's it's like you need to try break down that barrier like that's the mission of the NSCA to bridge the gap between, you know, the lab and the, and the field. Right. And that's what I, that's what I try to do too. I, yeah. I bridge that gap, but it's, it's not easy when you're dealing with closed minded people. Yeah. I think that, uh, it, social media, especially like comparison to other, like there's an unprecedented amount of comparison that we can do with other people. Like it used to be that we could only compare ourselves to our small group of people that we knew or the people we saw at work or the people we see at the gym or whatever. And nowadays it's you, you see people from all over the world. And of course, Instagram feeds you the best of the best because that's what gets people to stay on the platform longer and gets more likes and things like that. And so like we're constantly being bombarded by, and like our, our fears and our insecurities are constantly being bombarded with these images. I think the easy thing to do for, for most people, like it's easy to just react with negativity because that makes you feel better right away here in the short term, at least. And, and like, I don't know, it takes them down a peg or whatever, whatever psychologically is going on there. I don't know. Cause same thing. I don't, I don't try to get into that kind of stuff online either, but like the, the hard thing to do is to, you know, recognize that this person, okay maybe they did get born with incredible genetics and maybe they have had every single thing going for them in their life to get them to where they are now. But even that person had to work hard to get to where they're at in some capacity. And so like it would be, it's much harder for us to just recognize that other people are capable of working hard. And that maybe like, if we want to get there, we, we just have to work hard too. And it's going to take years it's going to take a lot of effort and we may not we may we may never get to that point because our genetics aren't the same as theirs but we'll get to a point where we're much better than we're at now and i i don't know what it is that people don't like they can't realize that they have a hard time getting to that it's so funny you said what you said because uh i think that's part of the secret to things it's like like compare yourself to you don't compare yourself mm. to others but if you do compare yourself, like I compare myself, if I compared myself to people who have been lifting weights 
you know, or like, like I've been lifting weights for since I was 15, I'm 43. So what is that? 28 years. Right. Um, and, and if I compare myself to like these fitness influencers, I would be massively depressed. Like some of my, some of my colleagues are just shredded. I'm, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're my friends, you know, I've got all these friends that are way more ripped than me. And, but I don't compare myself to them. I compare myself to my high school friends. I don't even hang out with them anymore, but mm. I'm like, you know, every once in a while I'll see them or, and I'm like, I look, I look, I probably look the best out of all my high school friends. You know, they have these big beer bellies and stuff, but I think that's just part of the secret is to not compare yourself to the creme de la creme up here. Yeah. Look at these. Yeah. yeah. Compet- I work with some of the top bikini competitors in the world and they're not happy. If you were to say to them when they just start working out, hey, guess what? In four years, you're going to look like this. They'd be right. like, what? Oh, my God. I'm going to be the happiest person in the world. And guess what? When they get there, they're miserable. They're not happy. Yeah. They're miserable. They never are like, it's because they're so, it's, it's it just, it's, I don't even push bikini or even powerlifting much on people anymore because this competition isn't good for everyone. It just makes you, you you're never good enough. It's like, right. you know. No matter what you lift, no matter how good you look, you're comparing yourself to that next person above you and you're wanting to get to that level and it's the nature of competition. And sometimes we just need to sit back and be content with what we have and how far we've gone. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I had, like I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, how I was going to do this podcast with you. And, uh, you know, you're saying like you could be, you could be pissed off about how you don't look like The Rock or you don't look like, you know, you know, whatever, Thor from the world's strongest man, something like that. And, uh, but he was telling me like, man, Brett's really like blown up. Like he's huge. Like he's so big and muscular. And it's like other people, the way they perceive you is so different from the way you perceive yourself. And it's kind of sad, right? I mean, I, I fall into that same trap because I was a big kid I was 300 pounds in high school and I was like I was like complete opposite of the way I look now but there's still that part of me that feels that I'm that person so I still see myself as like oh you know I compare myself to even some of my friends in fitness and I'm like nah man they're in better shape than me and I start to feel bad but then I I have to sometimes just go to like the grocery store or the mall and just like look around and be like okay out of all these people how many people look better than me and it's a little conceited i guess but it's like not many it's like one percent you're already like if you even work out on a consistent basis at all you probably look better than 90 percent of the people out there you're just Uh, comparing yourself to the 0.001 percent you see all the time so so agree with you there and and then a lot of this fear that we have is like based on the opposite sex it's like Mm. everyone's worried like you know am i gonna is this person gonna like me or is this person gonna want to stay with me or why wouldn't they like this person over me and if people understood that like that stuff's yes it's 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 i won't lie and say it's not important at all you know but it's it's if you if those same people are focusing so hard on their looks, focus more on their personality and just making that oh, yeah. feel focus on making that person feel special, they'd be a lot more successful in that regard. And you'd realize, got it. I did, could have 
didn't have to work out that I didn't have to stay at 8% body fat my whole life. And right. I you actually have more friends and at, at 12% cause you could eat some popcorn and a hot dog and have a beer every once in a while, you know, yeah. so yeah. you could have some of the chips and salsa when you go to Mexican food. It's, oh my gosh. Right. That's, what I, that's how I am right now. It's like, I'm not my leanest, but, uh, hell, I'm working so hard and I'm stressed and I'm not sleeping as well as I could, but I'm also fun. When people come visit in San Diego, I try to take them out to eat, you know, and, and I'm a fun guy and I'm enjoying, enjoying things. So the, the only thing worse is when you're, you know, I've achieved a lot of financial and business success. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard. I always say this. I can work on my physique. I can work on myself like self-improvement or I can work on my business. Yeah. Uh, they require ultimate focus and I can't do all three at the same right. time. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm ever, the times I have my best physique, I'm like, it's really hard for me to stick to a diet. I'm hungry around the clock and I'm like, but I can get down to 225 pounds or 235 and look way more ripped. Okay. That requires a lot of my attention and then I'm not going to be focusing on myself or my business as much. And then, you know, or I can focus on my business, my physique slides a little bit. I focus on myself. And ironically, those things tend to help the others, but it's hard to do. It's hard to say, I'm going to meditate right now. Mm. Especially when you, you wake up and you have this things to do list. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, lately, it's like, I'm, I have to like, I am forcing myself. I'm going to watch some Netflix tonight. I'm going to read this novel that I have, you know, I'm, because it's good for me and it keeps me in balance. We we with Instagram now, you can feel guilty around the clock because like me, it's you know, I haven't posted today, and my posts have not been that good lately. You know, the last few have just been, you know, like par for the course, nothing special. You can feel guilty around the clock that you could be doing more. Now, what you know, you, you when you're an entrepreneur you you don't have hours it's like and we don't set limits on our hours we don't go i'm i'm working from you know between the hours of 10 and and 10 a.m and 6 p.m and at 6 p.m i'm putting my phone away until right. the next day i'm not going to check social media until the next day We're, we don't do that we work around the clock these days so sometimes you have to force yourself to have like program in fun things because Otherwise, you don't enjoy your life and you're stressed and you're, we're like sympathetic all day long, you know, stressed out and anxious and that you won't achieve your best physique. You want to achieve your ultimate success. So you have to keep yourself in balance. And it's hard. It's hard too when you're crushing it in business uh, and you can become a workaholic. Yeah. And that, that just like you can be obsessed with your physique. You can be obsessed with your career and business, and, the, and the, remember the goal is happiness, not money, not being shredded, not this. It's happiness, and that's going to involve a balance of things. Yeah, I'll ask you one last question. I know earlier you talked about how, um, like, you wrote down everything that you could do that could make you money, and you probably picked between all of those things what was most important for you. I I hope to get that that list from you one day, by the way, but. Uh, what are three pieces of advice that you could give, say to me or other people who are starting to come up in the in in this industry, or you know maybe are on the side of things where they want to get into this industry and they're just thinking of what they can do? What is what are the three like big take homes that you can give somebody um, to help them succeed? 
first thing, focus on educating people like that. My Instagram, when it took off is when I, you can go back to my, when I first started posting and watch the evolution of my Instagram posts. When I started taking off is when I, I used to just make it about me. Hey everybody, look at my workout last night. Check out, here's what I did last night. And then I'd like repost, uh, you know, Chris Beardsley's intro graphic or something. And then that was, that was what I posted. How easy is that? Mm. Like you work, I work out, I would record my workout and then make it in a video. That's not teaching people much though. My master's degree is in curriculum and instruction. And I needed to go back to my roots and say, I'm going to start teaching people. When you focus on teaching people, you get raving fans. They're thankful. Like this guy spends several hours a day teaching me. Those are the people who are going to buy your stuff. Okay. That's the first tip. The second tip, don't just focus on followers. I have some of my female clients. Some of them have like, we, we share this stuff with each other. We'll like go to our Instagrams and show the breakdown. So I remember one of my clients has like a million followers and 82% are men. <laughs> and she posts half naked selfies all the time. So if 82% of a million followers are these men, they're not going to buy anything she has to put out. They're not going to do any of her products or services. So she really has like 180,000 followers that are women that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She doesn't really have, it's not about your followers. It's about your customers. If you're trying to make, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're, if you're just, is just a hobby and you already have a job then and you want to go for followers, so be it. But if you're actually a, a businessman and wanting to, you know, increase your profit over time, then don't just focus on followers, focus on the right followers. And you get that by posting educational stuff and um, staying true to your, you know, roots. Um, and then trying to think of another piece of advice. A third one, don't like resist the temptation to take shortcuts. You know, I, I know one of my uh, trainers when they started working for me, they were like, you know, trying to go hit like on like thousands of people's pages every day and try and doing like follow, following a bunch of people and then unfollowing like hashtags, things like that. They don't, those don't work that well. Hashtags don't, I don't do a bunch of hashtags. I don't, I've never gotten bots. I don't know how to buy followers. I wouldn't even know how to. <laughs> I don't, ha- I never concern myself with that. Um, fake followers, like the, 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 I think it's obvious if you have fake followers because you post something, you've got a million followers and you have 10 comments, you know? You don't have an engagement. And then some of these people have, get these bots, they, they buy their followers and then they leave comments and you can see it's like they're just emojis and stuff and they'll read, it's like one person leaving 10 comments and that's to boost your, then you're just a phony. Who wants to be a phony? You know, uh, you resist the urge to take those shortcuts and just focus on creating good content. However, and but be, stick to a goal. Like how many times can you post per week? Say once being one post being like not as, not a slam dunk, but like two posts being awesome. Could you do three posts a week, two being awesome, one being, you know, just something that's not quite as serious. 
Yes, you could. Well, do those do, pose three times a week for a year and you'll do well. You'll improve. You'll get more followers. You'll make more money. But you got to be consistent. And Instagram is a job. You know, you got to, you don't just, when you're on Instagram, don't just be, you know, screwing around. Do it with a purpose. Like I, I like to, I follow some people and I watch what they do. I stay, you know, I, I like, I look at their stories. I stay invested in their lives, but I'm assessing, I'm seeing what's the trends. I'm seeing what's going on. What are the big hot items right now? And then I'm also, uh, you, you, you know, I've got colleagues, you got to support them. If you want them to support you, it's a reciprocal relationship. But most of my time, I'm being productive. I'm not just scrolling through, hitting the search, laughing, having a great time. I'm replying to comments. I'm going to my DMs, answering those, things like that. So treat it. Don't. Or it's like someone could go, well, yeah, I'm on Instagram four hours a day. Right. You're screwing around four hours a day. I'm on Instagram for maybe two hours a day, but it's very, or three hours a day, but I'm, it's with a purpose. Productive. Yeah. I think productive. So. Those are three tips that I could think of off the top of my That's head. That's awesome. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one thing that I heard there is especially is like being probably being willing to go through the tough times and like grind through those because like everybody wants that instant gratification to get like a thousand likes on their pictures right away. But like if you're posting quality stuff and only getting 100 likes or 50 likes or 20 likes, it's like the perseverance to keep doing that, even in the face of not getting the results you want, is like Bill. You, I think you learn a lot there. You learn a lot about yourself. I had a friend who had eighty thousand followers on Instagram, and he made an ebook, and he made five hundred grand. Wow! Yeah. So not it's bad. Not just, I know it's not just about the followers. Yeah. It's about the quality of followers, and I also know people who have uh, one. One person I know has like you know two two million followers, and she doesn't really make much at all. Hmm. Doesn't know how to, she's not a business person because she spends all her time creating selfies and it's all vanity stuff. She's not a business person. And it's gotcha. not just about followers. It's about, and remember life, your goal is happiness, not just followers or money. And even within the followers, it's about paying like, like interested followers who will, if you're an entrepreneur who will get, who will subscribe to your stuff and buy your stuff and buy your products, not, and to that, you have to win them over. You win them over by teaching them stuff and convincing them that you have credibility. Sure. Awesome, man. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you. Like you always have so much awesome stuff to say. And like, I like talking to you because I'll ask you a question and you end up answering it, but you like give me so much more information along the way that I even asked, but it's great because it's all good information. I usually find my way back around. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> I just got to stay quiet and let you get there. But. <laughs> well, man, well, thanks a lot. On. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Catch you guys next time.